0: All right, so there's there's gonna be two parts to this. So the first part is kind of the process of finding the right one. And the second part has to do with how to have a healthy relationship. What are the dynamics that are needed? So uh, I've tried to go across the spectrum of where different people's needs are. And so that's, that's how I decided to organize it. Well, I don't know if we should begin uh, but let's go ahead. I did some introductions, but let's let's just do it one more time for the sake of those who are here. My name is Laurent. Laurent. And Laurent, are you from Southern or somewhere else? No, I'm from Southern. Southern, all right. No, I'm Blake. And Blake again. Darian. And Darian. Bradley. Bradley. Kelly. Kelly, yes. David. David. Josiah. Josiah. So um, hopefully you guys. You, you are the remnant who have decided not to go into the great outdoors for which we admire you. <laughs> it's, tempting. It's, tempting. it's tempting. All right, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and begin. And why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer as we start. Father God, thank you for being with us. Uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide and lead. Uh, we know that we cannot succeed without your help. And so when we bring to you our relationships, we fully expect you to be able to help us to navigate those relationships in your strength. And we pray, Lord, that um, this time this afternoon will be productive and useful. Bring those who still need to come, who are still getting away from lunch, uh, help them to arrive here on time. And help us to be able to navigate relationships in a way that brings you glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I teach in the School of Religion. My wife and I do relationship things on the side. (laughs) And uh, we also do a graduate program in biblical counseling at the School of Religion. So uh, it's the only biblical counseling program uh, that I'm aware of in the Adventist denomination. So what we're taking a look at, as I say, two components this afternoon. The first one is uh, fit to be tied. How you find the right person and navigate all the way through to marriage. And then the second one, how you have a healthy relationship. So, dating is fun. Um, I'm sure a number of you have done dating. There's nothing like the experience of getting to know someone. There's nothing like the experience of falling in love. So, dating is definitely fun. Welcome, Chantal. Hey, guys. All right. So. It's fun, but it's also dangerous. And uh, why is it dangerous? Uh, The average teenage relationship lasts 14 months. So um, if you've been dating a year, you have about four months. (laughs) That would be challenging, right? So um, it it only lasts 14 months, which means some are really short. The younger you are, the shorter the dating period tends to be. Uh, As you get older, you're able to, to hang in there a little bit more. Uh, So just for those of you coming in now, our first one is how you find the right person and what that process is. And our second seminar is going to be how to have a healthy relationship when you're in a relationship. Uh, Only 2% of new marriages are from high school sweethearts. So that means that 98% of high school sweethearts do not get married. Uh, They break up. More than 50% of all marriages started between the ages of 20 to 25, end in divorce. That's a little scary. I mean, that would be like, uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the matrimonial airlines. We're so glad you've decided to join us on this trip, and we want you to buckle up. Now, we do need to warn you in advance before we take off that 50% of our flights end like this. (laughs) How many of you are still keen on flying matrimonial airlines? It's like, you know, that's a little scary. So, uh, what we have to do is recognize as we go into relationships that they don't have to end in disaster, but there is a chance, particularly before you get married, when you're just dating, there's a significant chance that you're going to end up in a breakup. And so is there a problem with today's dating strategy? Um, i was going to put up tinder but in the end i went with friendly because it sounded friendlier (laughs) and uh, what is it tinder is it swipe right you like or like we don't know i don't know either but anyway whichever swiping way you go the idea with the uh with the dating apps is you see somebody who's attractive and you respond you let them know that you like them and so i see a bunch of potholes here one is that you are choosing a partner who could end up becoming your life partner based on simply attraction or circumstances rather than character and personality. So a lot has to do with your feelings. Like you you, you get a feeling and it's, it's not really choice and conviction, but it's how you felt towards that person. And then you end up becoming intimate and even bonding with someone you don't really know. And I know because I've tried this strategy. I remember when uh, it was a friend of mine was getting married and I was like the MC. Come on in guys, if we need extra chairs, could uh, we check in that little room over there? And I think there may be chairs there. Thank you, Dawson. And that's uh, good to see the room growing. So what happens is you become intimate with the person you don't really know. So I was there on a wedding weekend. I was the MC for like the reception and we were hanging out saturday afternoon and one of the girls who was there caught my eye she was this redhead and uh, we ended up walking next to each other and our hands accidentally kind of brushed you know as you're walking and i'm like that felt good and then we we ended up sitting down on the beach and here she's chatting to me and i'm chatting with her and I could just feel the electricity. Any of you felt that electricity before? And I was like, "Well, wow, this is amazing. And then I don't know exactly what happened, but somehow everyone left us alone and I ended up putting my hand on hers. And I, I, I just felt this connection, like soul to soul you know, heart to heart, and there I am holding her hand, and um, and she's chatting to me, and I'm feeling this warm, fuzzy glow, and then as she's talking more, uh, she starts saying things that are totally unlike me. I discover she is a Pentecostal, and I'm a very intellectual guy, and uh, she believes completely differently from me, and she has completely different politics from me. Everything was just different, and as I'm As I'm there, suddenly I feel it grow cold. And I'm moving my hand away and I'm like, oh my, who are you? Well, what had I done? I had allowed intimacy to get ahead of my knowledge of that person. So um, painful breakups that could have been avoided happen when we follow the regular dating methods that we see out there. They've done studies on people in love. A a lady by the name of Dr. Fisher studied people's brains. So they took people who had been in love less than two months, and they took people who had been in love for 24 months. The brains looked different. People who had been in love for 24 months, far less activity. (laughs) People who had been in love for two months, it was like they were taking a drug. It stimulated the same areas of the brain. Um, and, And this is what people are saying. When you get people who are in love, it's like they're working on drugs. Natural chemicals such as dopamine, endorphin, serotonin, oxytocin can cause the same reaction as an illicit drug. The same parts of the brain light up as when you take cocaine <laughs> when you're in love, all right? Shows why, why, have you had friends who've fallen in love and they're a little crazy? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this explains it. <laughs> All right. Uh, dating and engaged couples often find themselves in a chemically induced condition. They have the uncanny ability to focus on their partner's positive strengths and traits while really noticing the reality of their partner's weaknesses. So, you know, I, if I could, I'd be a rich person if I could get a dollar off every time I've heard, he has so much potential. It's like, yeah, do you realize he is a jerk and a loser, but he has so much potential. And you know what? We both love the color blue. (laughs) That's great. That's great. But, you know, you're you're in a chemically induced state. So what you need to do is almost like sober up if you're going to do this effectively. Um, Now, in the Bible, we have an example of a person in this state. Guess who this is? Samson. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Tamna. Now get her for me as my wife. And his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman, you know, among your relatives and among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. Or as the King James say, she pleaseth me well. <laughs> so uh, was she the right one? no no so when you go based on feelings when you go based on on having the the tingles then what you'll discover is that you are going based on attraction based on hormones rather than based on conviction have you had friends who've had this problem you know and then like my brother my brother told me after he had Uh, Was in this relationship. He said, I am so in love. I said, How do you know? How do you know? And he said, She's the right one. I said, How do you know? He said, If there was a train coming and she was on the train tracks, I would push her out the way and I'd let the train run me down. It's like, Wow, that's love. (laughs) Three weeks later, they were broken up. I was like, Hey, What was that about, like the train and pushing her out there? He said, Just shut up. (laughs) That's what he told me. His feelings had changed. And so the problem is if you're going to follow this feeling based approach, you know, Disney, follow your heart, it's not going to turn out pretty. I mean, even Frozen knew that. (laughs) All right? So God has a better plan. Now, you're not going to find it spelled out in the Bible. It's not a set of strategies here. But what you're going to find is that in the Bible, rather than this feeling-based approach, you find an intentionality when it goes right. And when there's no intentionality like Samson, it ends up going wrong. So we are saying that instead of falling in love, crawl into love. Now, what do I mean by that? When my daughter was little, she was just, uh, you know, probably three years old. And I had another son by then, and he was uh, just a baby. And uh, he had had a poopy diaper. So my wife was changing my son's diaper, and my daughter was cavorting on the couch while my wife was changing uh, my son right next to the couch. And suddenly she lost her balance, my daughter, and she fell Face first, <laughs> into that poopy diaper. Now, I actually found it kind of funny. My daughter didn't, <laughs> but I learned something. I learned something. I learned that you don't, when you fall, you're not being very intentional, unless you're like bungee jumping. When you fall, it's because you did it by accident. And if I was Dr. Bauer, I would make a pun, you know, have a nice trip, see you next fall. (laughs) But when you fall, it is unintentional. You may experience feelings that are really powerful. But I'm suggesting to you, you shouldn't just fall. Instead, you should crawl. Crawl into love. Be intentional. Take your time. Unless you want to have a plane wreck. If you decide to have a plane wreck, then by all means go ahead and fall and then live with the fallout. (laughs) So here are five steps for crawling into love. And I'm just going to break this down in this first session about what I see that has worked successfully. And you, you may do this a little differently from me. We're all different. Everyone's love story is different. I'm glad for that. But these five steps have proved really helpful. The first step is Become whole in Christ first before you attempt a relationship. Makes sense, right? That if you're going to go into a relationship, you should have a sense of being yourself first. In fact, when I finally found the one, and when I say the one, God led me to a person, and I don't believe there's only one person out there for you, but the one person that was uh, the right person for me. Let's just put it that way. So I, I was at a stage where I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. When I felt comfortable with God was when he's like, okay, now you're ready. How would it be like if you dated a very needy person? Have you had friends who've done that? Notice I always put it as friends because I know you're more mature than that. <laughs> Have you ever dated a needy person who's just like, you're my world. You are everything to me. I need you. And then after a while, you have no space and they want to they, they control you every mood. And they're trying to always have you there for them. And it gets claustrophobic. Oh, You know what I'm talking about? Well, you don't want that. So the first thing you should do is focus on your relationship with God and on quality same-sex f- friendships and non-exclusive opposite-sex friendships. Because you are forming, particularly when you are here in a university kind of setting uh, or, you know, if if you're finishing high school, you are forming friendships for life. And if your entire world is wrapped up in one person, you are missing the opportunity to form other friendships. Ever had a friend who, uh, as soon as they got in a relationship, you said goodbye to them because they were sucked in like into another universe. (laughs) Bye, I guess I'll see you sometime because that was their only friend. And then three years later, they break up and guess what's happened? They've lost those three magical years when they could have developed other friends. This is also a time when you can prepare for your life calling. I ended up meeting my wife a little later in life and it meant that I could spend some time focusing on my life calling. This is also your time to overcome major weaknesses and to do, develop strengths. So uh, if you don't spend time doing this, you are going to turn into what we call a magnetized person. A, a magnet is something, have you ever held two magnets with their polar opposites? You ever held this? And then you, you like bring them close together, what happens? They, uh, if, if they've got the opposite poles, what will happen? They will just come together, right? So your magnet, yeah, I'm not sure what picture you're going to get there. He was mad. (laughs) So when you get a magnetized person and you bring them, you bring these two magnets together, what will happen is they will get totally absorbed in each other. Now, if you've got a needy person, they will actually find another needy person in the room. And the two will connect. It's like they, you don't even have to tell them who they are. They will just find each other. And then they'll go, this is amazing. I am with somebody who makes me feel whole. I'm with somebody who gives me this incredible sense of, of being valued and loved. They just seem to understand me. And they get sucked into each other's lives. <laughs> but that person cannot ever satisfy them. And so what happens after time is that they begin to go, This person isn't always here when I need them. And the other person's going, this person isn't always here when I need them. So they start fighting. Why aren't you here when I need you? I I can't be with you anymore. Bang! But I can't live without you. (laughs) I can't live with you. (laughs) But I can't live without you. (laughs) Any of you watched relationships like this? Yeah! And so what happens with this is because they are not whole in Christ, They have a hole for another person. They're controlled by an an impulsive force that they don't understand. They're driven by their imbalances. And as a result, what they really need to do is to develop a dependence on Christ that will bring them to balance and wholeness, or they will develop a dependence on what? Someone else. So I had a girl who came to me a number of years ago. She said, please, can you and your wife pray for me? I said, sure. Sure. What are we praying for? She said, please pray that I'll get a date. Because everyone else is going out on Saturday night and I'm not. <laughs> so pray I'll get a date. And I says, I can't pray that prayer. She says, why not? I'm going to pray that God will fill your heart so you don't need a date. She didn't like that prayer. <laughs> um, a girl who is driven by comfort, by a longing to be comforted will find a guy who will do that. But the guy who who connects with her, sometimes he is just engaging with that relationship because it makes him feel good. And as soon as it doesn't make him feel good any longer, he's just going to move on and find another person who he can be the savior for that person. Don't get involved with that. If you are a magnet, break the magnetic spell. Find your identity in God before you find a partner. Build your relationship with him on quality time and communication, and find your sense of love and worth in what God thinks of you instead of what another person thinks of you. Sound fair enough? All right, so that's step one, becoming whole in Christ. Step two is, yes, it's okay to begin observing, looking around. Um, You know, we, we call this an LSD trip. Look, see, decide. That wasn't what you are expecting, was it? So, yeah, build build some quality friendships. You don't have to declare anything. You're spending some time in groups. You, you are getting to know people. This is the age. There are some people who want to be pure so much that they never look. Well, I've met people that are like, I missed it. I was, I was in my 20s. I was right there at a university, and I, I ended up not looking around me. And as a result, everybody got taken. And suddenly I found myself in the second and third round, if you know what I mean. So it's okay to look and observe. Now, some keys to success in this stage. While you're looking, don't make mental or emotional commitments. I don't keep daydreaming about a particular person. I remember there was one girl um, that I really liked in college. She was a brand new girl who came to the campus. I'd already looked around at the other options. And now there was new meat. I mean, new person who had arrived. And I was like, yeah, you know, let me check out. And she was pretty and she was intelligent. And I started hanging out with her. And next thing I found, I was just thinking about her all the time. I remember getting on a treadmill and the treadmill was saying her name, you know, with every step. Her name was Shawnee, Shanae, Shawnee, Shanae, Shanae, Shanae. And it was just going through my mind. I was like, this is driving me crazy. And uh, so... I was like, I just have to get rid of this. I've got to tell her how I feel. Bad mistake. <laughs> that, that led to, the, to a, a relationship that was not healthy for either one of us. So don't make mental or emotional commitments. Don't build intense opposite-sex friendships at this stage. Come on in. All right? Um, instead, evaluate character. You don't have to do what one of my friends did. She deliberately had a flat tire to uh, see how the other guy would react you know, like, let's see how he does. <laughs> is he going to get mad, whatever? But you just see how people relate and what their character is. And the whole time you are prayerfully surrendering to God. This is what the book Adventist Home says. While pure love will take God into all its plans and will be in perfect harmony with the Spirit of God. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Passion will be what? Read those words with me. Headstrong will be what? Rash will be unreasonable, will be defiant of all restraint, and will make the object of its choice an idol. You know what an idol is? It's where you go to to get your satisfaction instead of going to God. Where do you turn? If you find yourself automatically turning to your phone in order to check your messages from that person, you are more than just friends. You have already in your mind taken it to the next level. You have turned that person into an idol. You are depending on them for those feel-good feelings that you should be getting from God. Uh, Is that too strong? (laughs) All right, next page in Adventist home says, True love is not a strong, fiery, impetuous passion. Now, it may have those moments. (laughs) I'm not saying you won't have moments of passion. It may have those moments, but true love goes deeper than that. On the contrary, it is calm and deep in its nature. It looks beyond mere externals, how a person looks. I, you know, I do a lot of premarital counseling. As I was saying the other night, um, I've prepared hundreds of couples to get married. And in preparing those couples, when they tell me, I say, why are you interested in this person? And they say, she's just the prettiest girl in the room. And I'm like, And? <laughs> You know, that's great. But 50 years from now, it may be a little different. (laughs) So what's going to keep you together 50 years from now? It looks beyond mere externals and is attracted by what? Qualities. Qualities alone. It is wise and discriminating, and its devotion is real and abiding. When you marry for the right reason, you can be absolutely certain you'll be married for life. Isn't that powerful? Don't you want to have somebody who will love you? When you're, when you're 80, that's the kind of love we're talking about. So it says it's attracted by qualities alone. So what kind of qualities should you look for? Well, I asked Nicole, my wife, for her list. And uh, she just came up with two things. I thought that was pretty short. So here's her short list, all right? The short list is this. Is he like Jesus and is he like me? I was like, wow, that's it? You didn't set the bar very high, did you? (laughs) But what did she mean? Did I have the character of Jesus? And could I have enough commonalities with her that we could get along? And in places where we were different, could she live with it? So I actually have, right here, I have the journal she wrote the year we got married. Before we got engaged, here it is. She gave it to me, and um, she she wrote uh, some incredible things because she was infatuated. <laughs> Why do I believe you created Alan and me for each other? I'm still like a monkey with a rock, turning it over and over in my mind, viewing from as many angles as possible. Broadly, I guess I would say that emotionally, socially, physically, intellectually, and spiritually, I feel in tune with Alan. It's like, oh. (laughs) I'll read you later what she says. (laughs) But but she was looking at this. Is he like Jesus? And is he like me? Now, my list was a little longer. And I'm sorry, I, I come from a pastoral background, so everything has alliterations. So mine were a bunch of C's, you know, so one day I could preach on it. So, so here we go. Uh, Here's, here's my first one. Christ, is she, he, in this case, it was her. Is she in love with Jesus? All right. That was my first one. Second one, communication. Is she a good communicator? Because in my prior relationship, I'd had a relationship for three and a half years. uh, That girl had told me, I'm like an open book. I was like, she says, your problem is you don't know which page I'm on. That was true. <laughs> I never knew which page she was on. So I prayed, dear God, please give me a communicator. If you know my wife, that's exactly what I got was a communicator. So is she, she a good communicator? Conflict resolution. Can he or she navigate disagreements? And so when, when, a, when a couple tells me we don't have any disagreements, I'm not too comfortable with that. Because, as we'll find out in our second session, disagreements are actually helpful for a relationship. Number four, called. Does he or she have a sense of purpose that will blend with mine? I was giving premarital counseling to a couple, and the one, uh, the guy, was interested in doing missions. That's what he wanted to do with his life. She did not want to do missions. Eventually, they were engaged. They broke up. They could not mesh their two callings together. And finally... Sorry, I had to put this in there. Chemistry. Well, I appreciate those who say stoically, he has good characteristics and I love him. I cannot imagine the honeymoon, but I will marry him. (laughs) Uh, Well, that sounds noble. I do believe that God created us to be attracted to each other and that there should be chemistry. So if you don't have chemistry then, then either you need to rekindle that flame or something needs to happen because a, a couple requires some chemistry. Now, the good news is if you've had chemistry, you can rekindle it. All right, so that was step two, kind of observe, find out what they're like. Step three is that you are not just friends. Now, we struggled with what to call this stage because we didn't feel like you were dating, but everybody in the room clearly knows that you are not just friends. You know, uh, you light up when the other person walks in the room, you, you text each other, um, you deliberately tell jokes so the other person can see, can hear it, you know, there's, uh, you're, you're finding them in the crowd. You, you know what I'm talking about? Um, you, you tend to turn to that person uh, when you have a need. Anyone else could drive you to town, but you've got to have that person drive you. So uh, it gets to this next stage. Now, my suggestion with this, and I struggled with it exactly how to term it, is that you should really indicate your interest slowly. Once you have indicated an interest, it's very hard to get back to friendship. Any of you experienced that? So once you've gotten to that stage where you kind of said, hey, you know, what do you think about our friendship? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Then you're not like, okay, yeah, yeah, me too. I, I, was, yeah, I would never think of anything other than, than being friends. You know, the, me thou dost protest too much, as Shakespeare would say. Um, so you indicate your interest slowly because once you have, it changes things. Uh, make verbal commitments cautiously, if at all, and definitely seek wise counsel. Now I say confidential because it is possible to tell a friend and that friend to go blurt it out before the time is ripe. So uh, yes, be careful. By wise counsel, a parent, um, an uncle, an elder, a pastor, somebody you trust, a dorm leader, someone like that that you can trust. As I said, once you indicate your interest, you are deliberately moving your friendship out of the just friends zone. So when I met Nicole, we were actually at Andrews, it was a, a SEEDS conference, isn't that appropriately named? And, and I was just, I, I hadn't gone to Andrews before, but I was just coming for the weekend. It was a conference, just like we're having today. And, <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, she walked past me, and I felt the strong impression to go and speak to her. It wasn't a love thing, it was just a strong impression. Go speak to her and encourage her. And I was like, that's weird. So that, eve- that afternoon, there was a seminar just like this, except it was some boring old guy who was like 99 years old talking about how to do youth evangelism. And so I was about to leave, and she walked in. And I thought, I'll just stay so that I can speak to her and get this over and done with. And then she left just before the end of the seminar. She was on the phone. I was like, oh, I just wasted this time in the seminar. And so I, I just sat there patiently to the end, and then she came back in kind of folding her phone together i didn't realize until later on she had actually been bored in the seminar too and had used the phone as an excuse so she wouldn't look rude when she walked out so if you walk out on your phone i know what you're doing so so she comes back in and so i get the courage as i'm leaving and i just walk up to her and all i say is hi and she goes hi and she walks off she didn't know till months later that that was me um and uh, we were actually talking, and I said, Do you remember the first time we met? And she went, No, it was, I mean, yeah, I do, and I'll tell you that in a moment. And I said, No, it wasn't then, it was at that seminar. She said, That was you? I thought it was some hick from Texas looking for a wife and kids. <laughs> I was like, Hick from Texas? Yeah, <laughs> I'm from Africa, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah so she walked off so that that very evening, a friend of mine, Heather Crick, calls me over and says, "Hey, come have supper with us and there's Nicole. We get chatting, and the more I chat to her, I'm like, "Hey, God, when you said Speak to her, what exactly did you mean <laughs> And uh, she had no idea that that was going on in my head till later, so we had to we had to navigate this friendship, and we we ended up uh getting a we were traveling we ended up traveling together up to the general conference that was happening that year in Toronto and so uh, we got talking with each other and by the end of that conversation I was hooked and so I wanted to I asked her do you mind if we stay in touch and she goes yeah that's fine and then she tells me later she was kicking herself like why am I saying yes this is a guy from Africa this is not going anywhere But we had to figure out what to do. And so at the general conference, we spent a little bit of time with each other. And by then, I was really hooked. So as I was leaving, I wanted to give her a hug at the airport. She came out to the airport to to say goodbye to me. So I wanted to give her a hug. And she says, no, back off. Go home, cool down, and then we'll talk. That's literally what she told me. Go home, cool down, we'll talk. And she's like, he's going to fly back to Africa and forget all about me. But I didn't. So then I, here I'm in Africa, I start writing every day to her. Fortunately, I know I sound like a dinosaur, but they had invented MSN Messenger. And we were like, oh, we can communicate in real time. Woo! Except that she could type faster than I could. And I was on dial-up. That, you know, where you dial in and it would like make funny beeps and noises. Yeah, that, that was my system. So she's typing away thinking, what a great listener this guy is. I couldn't respond because my computer was freezing. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to type, but you're typing too much. You know, that was a great listener. That's why she said such wonderful things. So, so at some point I was like, okay, I've given her a little bit of time. You know, it was like all of four weeks or six weeks. So I was like, hey, why don't we date? Because that's what I was used to. Let's just date. So I write to her and I have the big question. Will you be my girlfriend? And I waited for it to come back. No. It's like, what? Yeah, no, you are not ready to date yet. You have not cooled down enough. Like, this woman is nuts. So I thought about it, and then I was like, ah, I got it. I typed back a question, the not so big question. And the not so big question is will you discover God's will for our relationship? And not date anyone else while we are in this process. Yes. (laughs) So eh, what I realized was that she was trying to get me to this stage. An intentional friendship is when you have declared your intentions and you're being intentional about your friendship. Look, I was on a different continent. And when you're on a different continent, I had no casual way to be involved with her so I was going to have to be intentional about this friendship to discover where it was going but she would not let me make a boyfriend girlfriend commitment until we knew more about each other isn't that wise see I married a wise woman so this is when you declare your intentions and you become intentional but you don't suddenly go as is typical in dating to the next base like oh now we can hold hands and we can declare our love for each other Because, to be frank, we didn't know each other. We needed that time to figure each other out. So, when should you declare your intentions? I would like to suggest don't do it on impulse. Uh, Give yourself some time to cool off, as my wife recommended to me, and evaluate your feelings to do more observation and make sure this is God's will. I'm going to be vulnerable again and share my experience so I, was, uh, I went to, from South Africa to Zimbabwe. Uh, this was quite a few years before I met Nicole. And uh, when I went on this trip, uh, I had a girl in mind that I was going to get to know. So I wrote to her, and she responded back, and I said, hey, I'm going to come out to meet you. So I did. I had to get on a chicken bus. Literally, this bus had chickens on it and it was only supposed to take 60 people it had like 90 people and then it broke down and we had to wait for another bus and that bus with 90 people managed to get like 120 people on it i don't know how it worked so finally i arrived there with chicken feathers on me i i and uh, i get a taxi out to her house so yeah this guy is arriving with like suitcase in hand like here i am and i meet her dad and her dad's like Impressive. (laughs) He he lets me come in. I get to meet his daughter. I get to meet the family. I'm like, this is amazing. This is wonderful. It's what I've been looking forward to. Dad says, hey, why don't the two of you go out and have some fun? So I was like, great. Where do we have fun in this town? He says, there's a drive-in movie. I'm like, okay. He says, you can take my pickup truck. He puts a mattress in the back of his pickup truck. And he lets me take, and it had like a cab over the back. And he lets me take uh, the pickup truck to the drive-in movie with his daughter with a mattress in the back. Now, I guess he thought I was a theology student, so I was safe. Do not trust theology students. But there I was, we're lying watching the, the movie, and um, I'm looking across at her, and I, I forget what the movie was, but there was Michael Jackson playing in the background. And, uh, and there I, I, start, um, I start looking across at her, and it's the same thing, you know, the wandering hand. And then suddenly I look at her and I go, will you go out with me? And I reach across and I hold her hand and she looks back at me. Now, I don't know what happened in that moment, but it was like the music stopped playing. The beautiful picture cracked. I'm holding her hand. and I'm like, I have no idea who this woman is. And and her hand's kind of rough, which was probably a good sign. I mean, she's a hard worker, but in that moment, it just like turned everything off. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, what have I done? And she is still in the moment. For her, the music is playing. It's beautiful. And she's looking across at me and she goes, yes. And I'm like, (laughs) and she's like, did you hear what I said? I said, yes. And I went, that's wonderful. (laughs) And within 24 hours, I'd broken up with her. I know I'm a bad man. (laughs) Because I did things on impulse and on the basis of feelings. Are you getting the idea? Be careful of your feelings. Uh, I should have checked things out. So it's very hard to go back to regular friendship after that. And in that friendship, we never went back to it. You are not yet dating at this stage. You are simply exploring whether God is leading the two of you toward a committed relationship. So we have created a pre-dating phase. What do you guys think? It's just to to help you to cool down and to figure things out, all right? So don't go if the sign says slow. What do I mean? What if you like more than one person at the same time, but they're here and the other person's not here, so I'll just go with them. That is not fair on that person, right? So uh, keep it casual. No one likes a player. If you don't know yet, don't declare your intentions. You're not that desperate for a boyfriend or girlfriend, don't date while you wait for someone else. Figure out your heart before you go on and, and declare your intentions. Uh, you, it's not fair on the other person. One couple, the girl was sending these elaborate like $200 gifts to, to her ex-boyfriend. And then having her boyfriend help her to get the gifts ready. Crazy, right? Yeah, please don't do that. I Remember, as I've said, the whole way through your heart is fickle. So don't allow intimacy to cloud your judgment. So the way we like to think of it is this. Knowledge comes first, then appropriate commitments based on that knowledge, then appropriate intimacy. The greater the knowledge, the greater the kind of commitment you can make. And the greater commitment you make, the greater intimacy it allows. Which means that the greatest intimacy is reserved for the greatest commitment. Makes sense? Now, of course, you're going to be discovering who this person is for the rest of your life, but at least know enough to know whether you can trust that person with your heart. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. The very next day, you gave it away. All right. Step four, dating. Now you are ready to commence dating. To commence a committed relationship, you should still continue to focus on getting to know one another's personality and character. Just because you're dating doesn't mean you have to get married. The point of dating is to help you see in a more intimate situation where you are more committed to each other, is this going to work? Uh, Even Ellen White says, even at the point of engagement, she says it is better to break off an engagement than to enter upon a galling yoke. Uh, Progress slowly in emotional intimacy and regulate uh, physical intimacy by counsel and conviction. Check in with others, have, um, have your convictions clearly established. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our next session. Evaluate which phase of a love relationship you're at. There's the infatuation phase, where you have a lot of emotional love. Let me just read one more page. Yeah. Um. In everything, we compare ideas and learn from each other. It seems like we can expand each other's minds and at the same time find comfort in our sameness. Our values, ideals, goals, dreams, and even ways to relax, find fun, and show love are similar. I guess it's kind of hard to describe how we are like and different in just the right amounts. Three months later, <laughs> she says, um, Uh, why is he so difficult (laughs) I definitely never ever want to have children (laughs) we have four (laughs) Um, Alan is so driven to accomplish I fear his craving for success what if it becomes more important than his love for me she when we were married, she called me up one day and, uh, and I'm in my zone. I'm in my work zone, punching things out, getting things done. And she says, hey, I just called to find out if you were thinking of me. I was like, no, I wasn't. I was working. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> so so what, what happens? What happened? Infatuation stage. We are, we are alike and different in just the right amounts. Three months after that, oh my goodness. Why is he so difficult? Why does not he listen better? <laughs> so we were getting to know each other. So that's what happens is that you have an infatuation stage, then a bonding stage where you begin to go like, wow, we're just getting along so well, and this is amazing. Then you have an awareness or disillusionment stage. That's the one I read to you. Why is he being so difficult? That's kind of your reality check. So if a couple has not hit the reality stage, It's not like it can't work, but it's just taking a risk. Because you don't know which way it's going to go. So uh, are they really aware of each other? And then it starts going in two different directions. They either learn how to collaborate and how to be fair with each other, or they end up conflicting and one of them or both of them end up becoming resentful. They either learn how to practice sacrificial commitment Or they end up becoming selfish. The one will lead to loyalty and the other will lead to abandonment. You know, in marriage, the two become one and that one isn't you. It's the other person. You want the window up, they want it down. You want it hot, they want it cold. Your life will be lived in sacrificial commitments, particularly when you have kids. Then it adds to the sacrificial commitment to a whole different level. I'm looking at some of us who are married. We know, it. we know what this is like. So you're either going to learn how to be loyal or you're going to end up becoming selfish and eventually abandon it. This relationship's not for me. I just don't feel the love anymore. Well, you weren't asked to feel the love. You were asked to commit to the love. But I'm preaching. <laughs> so how do you know if you're infatuated? If you're daydreaming? If you can't get the other person out of your mind, if you're uh, if you have suddenly awakened feelings, if you have constant communication. I did uh, a wedding for one couple that had had between them. I'm not joking. Ninety thousand texts, Ninety thousand texts, all the time. And I'll tell you, that was not an easy marriage. Uh, distraction. You struggle to get anything done. Any of you have friends like this? You can recognize them. Again, it's just friends, right? Uh, Where the relationship is about passion and not principle. So uh, you can see uh, that infatuation, we need to get through that stage before we can really move to the significant stage. Now, what we decided to do to help us, because we knew we were really in love with each other, was to make a covenant. And we actually had, I forget what it was, like eight or nine points in our covenant. One of them was these We choose to avoid other romantic attachments until we are sure of the will of God for our relationship. If, after prayerful consideration and counsel, either of us believes God is not leading us together, he or she will be free to share the reasons why in honesty and to terminate this relationship without guilt. So we said, We're going to be very clear we want to know God's will. Even though we're dating, we want to know, is God leading us together? And then we had physical boundaries and we had how much time and how we were going to make sure that our time with God wasn't squeezed out by our time with each other. So we, if you want that covenant, let me know and I'll send it to you. So when you're dating, you're looking at ways that will make you fit to be tied. Are you building your relationship with God? Are you continuing to get to know each other in a wide variety of settings? So when Nicole came out to Africa, I took her on a camping trip with the church and uh, we had to do things. I did find out, she found out stuff about me. I found out stuff about her. Like she brought these little potatoes and she had these potatoes like wrapped in tinfoil and I was really hungry and we had the fire going. And so she took these little potatoes, she threw them into the, into the hot fire, but then she thought they'll cook as long as the big potatoes. And so um, eventually somebody came along and said, hey, those potatoes have been in a long time. You better take them out. So I took them out and I opened them up and the outside of the potato was completely black. I mean, it was black. So Nicole went off to go and get something. Everyone else is kind of laughing. And I pull it open and I said, well, she must think I'm a god because she's offering me burnt offerings. (laughs) She walks in as we're all laughing and she was not impressed. And we had to work through it. We are still married. She is a good cook. And I have learned to be a much more tactful person. <laughs> All right. So, um, get godly counsel. I took her to meet up with my spiritual mentors. I didn't come from a, a Christian background. And so I took her to meet my spiritual mentors. And they spent time with her and they loved her. And so I said, So, what do you think? And they said, We'll tell you tonight. So they kept me on edge the whole afternoon. That night, they gave me two gifts. One was a magnet, and one was a pair of woolly socks. They said, the woolly socks are for your cold feet. Go ahead and marry this girl. And the magnet said, because they knew I liked puns, it had two sheep next to each other, and it said, my place in life is next to you. (laughs) So they were saying, go ahead, (laughs) E-W-E. So there we go. There's the pun. So uh, they... I had to still pray about it. God, are you leading us together? Is this the right thing? And we kept praying when we worked through some of those difficult things. We asked hard questions, but I've discovered some of us have the paralysis of analysis. You know what I mean? We overthink everything. Some people are trying to figure out, some people are trying to figure out things like, but what if? I forget where she had it here. I don't know what the future holds. I'm worried about it. We want so much for it to work. Please do something soon. We're so tired. This is the reality we were struggling with. Should we really do this? Even though some people said, yes, what is this like? And at some point we had to say, we've asked the questions we need to ask. We need to move on. We also got ourselves a great little book called Getting to Really Know Your Life Mate to Be. It was just questions like, um, how much money would you spend on your parents for a gift? How much money would you spend on my parents? If we had a, a disabled child, how would you react? Some deep questions. So we worked through some of those. But at some point, we couldn't keep analyzing, we just had to let it be. Now there's some ways in which you should know you should get out. Fit to be untied, I called it. They only have a casual relationship in God. Yeah, you know, kind of spiritual, but not really. They blame others and they don't take responsibility. That will come back to bite you. They don't have a good work ethic. That will come back to bite you. They're resentful or jealous. That will come back to bite you. They push sexual boundaries. If they do it with you, why won't they do it with someone else? They're angry or manipulative. That could turn into abuse. They lie. They lie. That could be really problematic if you want to develop trust. If you see these warning signs, they may be bleeping, this is not the relationship for you. Is that, is that good enough? There are some danger points. I wish I'd known this in some of my relationships. I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. And finally, you get to the point where you can get engaged. You're committing to marriage and a lifetime of ministry together. I. Um, I I called up Nicole's dad. She knew I was going to do this, so she knew it was coming. I asked for his permission to marry his daughter. He said, yes, I sent him, in good African tradition, nine cows and a mule. They were plastic. Nine cows for my dowry, one mule because she was a little stubborn. So so she knew that something was coming. Um, So we ended up hanging out. Uh, I think it was a Sabbath. We hung out the whole Sabbath. We went for a walk on the beach. Uh, we went to go and eat pizza. She thought maybe it's going to happen here. Nothing. I said, I got a text. I said, we have to go to our friend's house. We're going to do some fun activity with them because it's Saturday night. And you know what Adventists are like. So let's go head over there. So she's like, she's disappointed, I can tell, because she was hoping that tonight was the night that it was. So, so when we arrive at the house, everyone else suddenly leaves and she's like, that's weird. And then she sees there are candles lit in the shape of a heart inside my friend's apartment. And she's like, oh my, it's happening. And I lead her inside and I've got this massive Bible. It literally is this big, you know, like the Ellen White Bible, (laughs) that kind of Bible and I've got it open to 1 Corinthians 13. I've written out a wedding proposal. And it's declaring my love for her. And then the coup d'etat, I bring out a coin that has yes and no on it. And I kneel down, ask her to marry me. And then I ask her to flip the coin. That I'd checked to see that I'd waited it so that it would only land on yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so... We were excited. I mean, I, I can see in here. Date, July, I mean, January 14. A few hours ago, I became Ellen Parker's fiance. I am still overwhelmed. It all seems like a dream. It doesn't seem possible. I'm engaged. I'm getting married. I've decided to get a husband to become a wife. <laughs> it's beautiful. But what you want to do is make sure that you're asking the right questions. So here are a couple of good books, The Sacred Search by Gary Thomas about the process of finding someone. 101 questions to ask before you get not married, but engaged, help you work through things. It's more journaling. You can only do like a question a week, but it's it's good. And in the end, it is worth waiting for. So this is our wedding. We got married in New York State, upstate New York, just by Union Springs Academy, if any of you know where that is. and. Uh, it was magnificent. So God can bless, and I don't know what He's planned for you, but I can say His plan was so much better than when I tried to do it my way. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for, for leading in my life. Thank you for the gift I received in my wife. She is more precious than any jewel, and I'm grateful for her. And I pray the same for each person here, that you will lead them to a beautiful, not simply romantic, but real relationship founded on true love that is abiding and that will last for eternity. For I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we will take a 10-minute break, and then um, we will commence again. So if you, if you want to stick, stay here for the next seminar, you're welcome to. If you want to go to the evangelism one, because you have uh, not evangelism dating. The evangelism seminar, uh, then you're, you're welcome to do that. So 10 minutes and we'll start again at 3.40. And we, we should be done by 4.30 this afternoon. That's our goal. Okay. Oh. Oh, so thank you. I know some will still be coming in. So what we're going to be doing in this seminar is three keys to a healthy relationship. So Uh, in all the couples that I've counseled, I've discovered that there are certain things that work for them and certain things that if if they don't follow this, their relationships tend to fail. Now, there is no perfect way. There's no guarantee, let me put it that way. Uh, You can follow all the steps in the world. You can read 50 books. You're still dealing with people, and people will make their decisions. And... uh, God could lead you together with someone. I know people who say, I'm absolutely convinced that God led me together with this person. But I also know that we should not get married. And they have ended up breaking off their engagement. One of those, she broke it off the night before the wedding. They had already had the practice. And now it it was Saturday night, and they were supposed to get married on Sunday, she called it off. She called up her friends. Everyone's flown in. They bought the food. They bought the wedding dress. They bought the flowers. Uh, I don't know how much it is, like $10,000. You know what a wedding is like. And um, her family was supportive. They said, if you don't feel comfortable with going ahead right now, then you shouldn't. And they called it off. And she is so grateful. She never got married to that person. So, uh, yeah, even at the last minute like that, things can happen. So there is no guarantee as we go through the seminar. But these three keys to a healthy relationship, I think, will be uh, very good for you to pay attention to because they will make your chances of success much stronger. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for guiding. Uh, Thank you for my own journey. And I'm so grateful for how things worked with my wife. And I pray that you will help me to become... Uh, the kind of husband I should be. Help her to become the wife she should be and help each one of us to grow into the kinds of people we should be. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this is really designed for when you are in a relationship. So if you're not in a relationship yet, just take note. So the first question kind of builds off what we said last time. Is your relationship God-centered? And I just find that that makes all the difference in the world. When a relationship is based on Jesus, it just goes better. You heard the old saying, a family that prays together, what? Stays together. Now, again, there's there's no magic in it. We still make our decisions. But a relationship that is God-centered is so much better. Ellen White said there are three questions we should ask. Have you read these before? Three questions we should ask. Is this leading me where? Toward heaven. Is this, does this increase my... Love for God, and does it increase my sphere of usefulness in this life? So, does this relationship lead you to love God more and to serve other people? Or are you so wrapped up in each other, you've forgotten to pray, you've forgotten to have a devotional life? I ask couples, How's your devotional life? And some of them go, Not so great. I was like, We need to work on that because that's your foundation. Because when you have someone outside of your relationship that you can turn to, like God, He fills the love cups inside of your hearts and you can give to each other instead of demanding from each other. Now, a caution. Most couples experience a temporary spiritual high when they start dating because emotions and spirituality seem to be close together. I have seen absolutely bound-for-hell pagans Become suddenly very spiritual for about three weeks, and then they're like they're bringing their Bibles to church and they're praying to God. And I'm like, wow, maybe this is a turnaround. No, it was hormones. (laughs) So you need to be careful that 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 uh, he he's really turned. He he is a completely different person than he was three months ago when he was a total jerk. And I told you I would never look at him. These are actual quotes. So. You need to recognize that you've got to give it time to see if that's actually true. But you want to make God the focus. And we, we like to talk about in our relationship seminars a difference between aiming at happiness and aiming at holiness. It's kind of like a fork in the road. Are you aiming for a happy relationship or a holy relationship? Now, what do I mean by a holy relationship? Are you trying to be like Jesus Or are you trying to just have fun? Now, if you're going into a dating relationship just to have fun, you can do that for a while, but you'll end up hurting each other. Because what's it like when two selfish people get into a relationship? So can I have two people up here? We'll make you bad, and then we'll make you good. So, okay, yeah, you guys, come on. (laughs) Yeah, you, yeah I, I saw that. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> okay, so um, So what we've got is, is here's, here's a nice couple. They're going to be selfish. Now, what I want you to pre- pretend is that I am happiness. Okay? I Don't I look like happiness? All right, I'm happiness. He wants to be happy. Guess who's standing in between him and happiness? And so what is he going to have to do? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, she is too busy and that's standing in the way of his happiness and he wants her to be less busy to spend more time with him. What's he going to do? What are you going to do? Express my frustrations. Express your frustrations. If she does not respond, she is standing in the way between you and happiness. What else will you do? You will, you will manipulate her so that you can get to a goal. You are gonna do what I want you to do. You're gonna spend time with him. What good girlfriend wouldn't spend time with his boyfriend, you know, or whatever the situation, husband, wife, friend, and then you manipulate that person, or you come, well, it's fine, it's okay. I'll just go back to my room, cry. (laughs) Now, I want you to imagine that I am Jesus. Okay, all right. Now, let me ask you a question. He wants to become like Jesus. He wants to become like me. Is there anything that she can do that would stop him from reaching that goal? No. She's mean to him. Guess what? That's an opportunity to become more like Jesus. She uh, ends up being a little selfish. Guess what? That's an opportunity to become more like Jesus. So what is happening? She can never stand between him and the goal when the goal is holiness. Now, let me ask you a question. If both of them are trying to become more like Jesus, do you think they'll have a happy relationship? Yeah. So, so really, if you want a happy relationship, you have to aim at a holy one. Thank you. You guys did great. Yeah, give them a hand. All right. So it's like a tug of war. If you are trying to manipulate each other and then it becomes marriage instead of becoming a covenant becomes a contract. You know what the difference between a covenant and a contract is in a contract, you basically, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. So I'll pick up my socks off the floor. Unbelievably, that was a problem that I had. <laughs> See, cause I'm a professor and we think great thoughts and where our, my socks are, doesn't really matter. So my wife comes in horror and says, you know where I found your socks today? I was like, no. They were on the dining room table. It's like, yeah, they shouldn't be there. (laughs) So what she could do, she she could say, I want you to take your socks and put them away in the laundry. And I could go, yeah, yeah. But you're also going to have to pick up those clothes that you leave in the bathroom and make sure they get put in the laundry too. Ha! And, and And then we could do a contract. All right, fine. I'll put my socks in the laundry if you put your clothes in the laundry basket that are on the bathroom floor. What have we done? We've created a contract. And inevitably, somebody's going to break the contract because absent-minded professor, guess what he's going to do? End up leaving his socks on the floor. Guess what she's going to end up do while she's listening to music? End up leaving some of her clothes on the floor. And then we go, ah, you see? You see, you didn't keep your end of the bargain, so I can do whatever I want now. Ha! Now, does that lead to a powerful marriage? No. So relationship is built not on manipulation, not on contract thinking, but on ministry thinking. Ministry thinking says, I am here to minister to you as a person. I am here because God has put me in your life so that I can be Jesus to you and I can help you to become more like Jesus, which may even mean some confrontation. Should I say this? Even sex should not be seen selfishly. Sex is a ministry of pleasure to the other person. Now, with both people being ministering to each other, I know this sounds so pastoral. <laughs> both people ministering to each other, sex is beautiful. But when two people are looking to fulfill their own personal fantasies, sex can become fundamentally selfish and hurtful. Are you following? All right, moving on so we don't embarrass anyone else. All right, this is Letters to Young Lovers. Uh, This is a a great little book. Uh, Ellen White wrote to several young people and wrote some letters to them. Uh, She says, Marriage is something that will influence and affect your life, both in this world and in the world to come. A sincere Christian will not advance his plans in this direction without the knowledge that what? God approves his course. He will not want to choose for himself, but will feel that God must choose for him. Now, when she's saying that, she's not saying you're not involved, as we'll see in a moment. She's saying that you take God into your plans. We are not to please ourselves, for Christ pleased not himself. Now, she says, I would not be understood to mean that anyone is to marry one whom he does not love. This would be sin. So you don't have to marry someone God, I just know you're calling me to marry the ugliest person out there and I'll find them and I'll marry them. No, but what God is calling you to do is to be unselfish and to take him into account. Fair enough? That's the first key. Second key, and I don't care. You know, they tell me that the number one reason why couples get divorced is because of money. It is not because of money. It is because they don't know how to communicate. So do you communicate effectively? So I've got to tell my favorite story and I'm sorry, but it is just, (laughs) it's just my experience. So when we first got married, Nicole went out shopping and uh, she didn't know what all of these prices were because they were in rants. She's like, we were in South Africa, living in South Africa. She was American and she's like, what are these things? So she looks and she sees bananas and the price kind of looks okay. So she buys a bunch of bananas. She brings them home doesn't say anything. I see the bananas. I love bananas. So I go and I start eating those bananas. They are yellow with just a hint of green. That's how I love them. And I eat them through. And the next week, without saying anything, she goes out and she buys two bunches of bananas. And I'm like, man, this woman really loves me because she hadn't eaten a single banana. And now she's bought me two bunches of bananas. I'm like, this is so great. I eat through the two bunches of bananas. The next week, three bunches are sitting there. I'm like, man, I know she loves me, but I like bananas, but this is a little too much potassium. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I'm going and I'm eating my way through the bananas. And finally, there's one left and it has those nasty little spots on it, you know. And I'm like, she doesn't like bananas. She's bought them for me. I'm a good husband. I should eat the final banana. So I pick up the banana and it's like that sugary, sweet feeling and I am eating it. And I just finished when she walks in the room and she has big eyes and she says, you ate the last banana just when it was getting ripe. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently she thought overripe bananas were ripe. And (laughs) how many of you like bananas with spots? Yeah, at least some of you. Yeah, I'll pray for you. So So we discovered We had not been communicating, right? We could have easily solved this. She could have said, hey, by the way, I like bananas when they have spots on them. Do you only like them when they're green? She could have said something like that and we would have figured it out, but we hadn't. So we needed to communicate. Now, unfortunately, most communication is a lot more difficult than bananas. So that's what we want to talk about. So one guy, you may have heard of him, Dr. Gottman, he had a love lab. People would come to this cabin, and get videotaped, only in the main area. And he had videotaped them, he did this for over six years, and he compared this with another uh, study of couples, studied over 13 years, and he looked for patterns in couples that stayed married, that seemed happy. And he tried to see, now what are the patterns that I can figure out? Big surprise, part of this weekend, they would teach them skills. Like, have you heard of iMessages? You know, instead of saying, you always do this, you go, I feel that you always do. No, <laughs> but you would teach them eye messages, you know, where you'd go, I am feeling this. And then they would learn how to listen. But the strange thing was when a couple got into a fight, all of that went out the window. They didn't even use it. They knew it, but that didn't mean they were going to use it, right? Any of you been in that situation? I know what to say here, but I don't care. I'm going to tell you what I feel. So instead, this is going to shock you. Here's what they found they found two critical factors to success. If the person, in this case it was often the wife, who initiated the issue, was able to do it in a gentle, compassionate, and soothing way, and if the partner, in this case the husband, responded by being open to the suggestions of his wife, the couple happily negotiated the conflict. In other words, what, what worked was not a strategy, but an attitude. I'm going to introduce this in a non-aggressive way, and I'm going to respond in an open way. Are you following? So I said, how can I, instead of just giving the strategies, iMessages, here's how to listen, how can I teach this in a way that helps people with their attitude? And so um, what I had to do was to wean out certain negative attitudes He called them, Gottman called them, the four horsemen of marital apocalypse. And uh, what it is, criticism. Why are you always, what is that? What's wrong with you? All right. Contempt. I just can't believe her. There's someone in my family who will remain nameless, but you'll get the idea here because they call their husband Robert. And uh, anytime you walk in, Robert, oh, that man can't believe that man so this is contempt right so you have to be careful defensiveness uh where you explain excuse deny responsibility uh so somebody says hey you know would you mind picking up your socks off the floor i did i leave my socks on the floor there must have been something going on um no i don't leave my socks on the floor it's denying it or stonewalling walking away not listening La, 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 I'm not hearing you, la, 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 la. That is not helpful. So instead of these things, we need to teach an attitude. And to teach that attitude requires, I believe, two things, trust and vulnerability. Now, a couple that says, we don't fight. I'm like, so you never disagree about anything. Like, no, no, we just, everything's great. Well, then I said, maybe you're not being honest with each other. Because if you're honest with each other, you will disagree. I've never met any person that I agree with about everything. So trust says, I trust you enough to share what I really feel. So in a relationship, you want to develop trust. You want to develop trust and vulnerability. Now, some of us uh, do some communication tools (laughs) and uh, we We call this love, the love response. And so one of the attitudes that I teach is the attitude of listening. And my good friend, Professor Augusta there, uh, she taught me that there's another way to spell listen. Can anyone come up with the other way to spell listen? Take those same letters and form it into another word. Silent. Silent. All right. That means when you're listening, shut up. (laughs) Be quiet. Listen in. Because as you listen in, you begin to hear what the other person is really communicating. Then understand. Understanding is both reflecting back. You know, you can say, so what I heard you saying is, you can use that strategy. But much more so to understand your last questions. Can you give me an example? Help me to understand what you mean by that. So when you say that you're feeling hurt by what I just said, can you give me an example of what I said that was hurtful? And then the person starts unpacking their hurt because you really want to understand. It's an attitude. And then the last attitude here is to validate. To validate means to read a person's heart. So when a person says, "We're not," to take our example, we're not, you're not spending enough time with me. You're too busy. Instead of going, I'm the busy one. You know, last week when, when you were busy, then I didn't hear any of this, oh, you're too busy business because you were busy. Now it was suddenly, okay, what have I done? I've become defensive. To validate says, I can tell you really want to spend time with me. I can tell that that's important to you, and I want to thank you for that. I'm guessing I've hurt you by my busyness. See what validation does? It says, it reads the heart of the other person and says, I'm open to what you have to say. In fact, I care about what you have to say. I appreciate you bringing it up because I know you care about our relationship. Now, it, it works not only with the person who's listening, it works with the person who's talking. That's a good veggie burger. Or maybe not. <laughs> but what happens when you have a burger? you got a lot of sauce and a lot of condiments on either side, right? So I, if you're going to bring something up, a good communication strategy is what I call the affirmation sandwich. Begin by saying something you like about the other person. You know, I really love how you like to have fun together. That's something I really love about our relationship. However, I have felt that in the last little while, whenever I brought up a suggestion about what I would like to do, you haven't really heard me and instead we've ended up doing what you wanted to do. And the only reason why I'm bringing this up now is because I know you listen to me so well in other cases and it's just this one area that I think we could deal with and I know you want what's best for our relationship and that's what I love about you. See what I did? Affirmation sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Write it (laughs) down. So what happens is a lot of sauce on either side will help the tough meat to go down. All right. Now, in addition to that, there may be more difficult situations. What about when there is conflict going on in your relationship? So I've discovered that there are at least three routes. I know there are many more, but there's at least three significant routes that I've discovered to conflict. And this is the biggest one I put at the top, unmet expectations. Let me give you a scenario. So um, I'm newly married, and I walk in the house. I've been working all day. I walk in the house. Nicole's been at home. Of course, she was studying, right? But you have lots of time when you're studying. So, (laughs) so, uh, So I walk in, and the dishes are not washed. What's my expectation? that the dishes should have been washed what by my good housewife before I get home. That has all kinds of stereotypes in it, but bear with me. So I get into the kitchen and I start washing the dishes, but I wash them this way. Bang, bang. What am I communicating? That I'm upset. What does Nicole hear? She hears Bang, bang, bang. So at first, she's like, wow, he's being really noisy and washing the dishes. But she's a woman. She tunes in better than I do. She figures out he's mad. And then she goes, he's washing the dishes. So she walks in and she says, why are you washing the dishes? Because no one else has. Then I catch myself because I'm supposed to be a good husband. And I go, so I, I just decided to do it out of love. <laughs> You're like, you liar. (laughs) You're doing it to prove a point. And I'll tell you what it's doing. This is a real conversation. I'll tell you what it's doing. It's making me feel unloved. It's making me feel like you're trying to communicate that I'm a failure. Why didn't you just come speak to me and express your expectation and your desire? Because this, I don't know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) Bang! (laughs) So, you will discover that unmet expectations lead to a a sense of disappointment. A sense of disappointment can lead to a demand. If you truly loved me, you would have been washing these dishes. If you truly loved me, you'd be picking up your socks. If you truly loved me, you would be doing this or that. And then that disappointment becomes a demand. Now you have to do it to show your love to me. Are you following this? This leads to conflict. So if we can talk about our expectations and why we have them, we can often take them away. Like, I'll give you another one. So here I am, a a new dad, and it's time to go to church. So I go and I jump in the car because it's time to go to church, and my wife is late. Oh, I'm so frustrated. Why are we late again? Beep, beep, we're late which does nothing to improve the warm fuzzy feelings in a relationship. And so she comes out <laughs> carrying the baby and the diaper bag and something else, I don't remember what it was. And she's juggling all of these things, putting them into the car. I'm like, we got to go. She's like, "Maybe we could go faster if you would help me." Like, "Oh. <laughs> yeah, good point." <laughs> so Clarifying expectations. Second uh, one is past hurts. Again, illustrations help you. So I am driving down the freeway I-80 in Sacramento there, which it says 65, but it says I-80, so everyone just goes 80. (laughs) (laughs) So there I am, I used to race cars, so I enjoy 80. (laughs) And uh, suddenly, as I'm driving, Nicole yelps. She goes, ah, and I go, ah, what is that? Is it a a bird? Is it a plane? Is it an animal? I don't know. You know, so there I am. And and I look across and she has been clenching her fists. There are nail marks in her hands. I'm like, what is it? She said, would you please just slow down? And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) So I slow down, like what's going on there? Well, we unpacked it. When she was younger, her dad would drive very fast. He used to terrify her. And when they complain, guess what the dad would do? Drive faster. So now she's in the same environment. Intellectually, she may know I won't do that, but emotionally, it feels the same. And so she's going, oh, can't say anything, can't say anything. And we're getting closer and closer to the truck in front of us. And she's just gripping tighter and tighter. I'm feeling comfortable because I'm driving and I'm a race car driver, you know. So I'm I'm comfortable. And I don't know what she's doing until at last the volcano explodes. So the conflict was actually caused by a past hurt. Are you following this line? It was a landmine. And if the reaction is out of proportion to the situation, it's probably because it's threaded to a hurt in the past. So then I said to her, look, honey, next time I'm driving where you're not comfortable, Just tell me and I'll slow down. And she's like, really? I said, yeah. Mental note. (laughs) Do not get defensive when your wife says something about your driving. Just slow down. So I make the mental note. We're driving along. She says, could you back off from that truck a little? And I back off. And she's like, wow. That is so liberating. Mental note. Good job. Ten points. All right. (laughs) So, So the... You need to look at why is the situation occurring and what could it be related to and how can you as a partner help that person transition from those emotional feelings because those emotional feelings are triggered by the limbic system, which means they're not conscious. They're connected to the base part of the brain and they're happening automatically. So it's not like the other person is deliberately blowing up at you. It's often because it's being triggered. Now they need to figure out how to control that better and you need to help them. Are you following? Third one, selfishness. James chapter 4 says, why are there so many fights among you? It's because you desire and you can't have what you desire. It's because of your selfishness. And so why do we have conflicts? Because honestly, I want things done my way. You know, when when there's a problem going on, sometimes I just have to examine, do I really need it done this way or am I just being a selfish jerk? And... hmm. The Holy Spirit brings in conviction. I didn't need to have it done that way. Her way is just as good. Why does it have to be done the way I want it? And if I can let go of that, we can have a good relationship. And if both of you are doing that, how much the better. So how do you process uh, your conflict? So let's say you've determined there's a conflict, stuff's going on. I've discovered there are two kinds of people. One is, a caver, and one is a converser. And the difference is a caver needs to think to process their feelings. So I'm the caver. I want to go in my cave. I want to think it through. And then when I finish thinking it through, I can come out and I can give you an answer. All you need to do is bring food and leave it at the cave door. My wife is a converser. She can't sleep if she hasn't talked it through. So she is going like, I just need to get, talk it through. And I'm like, the more she talks, the less I can think. And I'm like, please. So again, I'm being honest with you with what happens. So a situation, um, newly married, uh, we have a discussion. It starts getting heated. I don't call them arguments, just a heated discussion. And, uh, and it's going, you know, and I am so frustrated. I can't think, I can't process. And I say, I just have to go for a walk. So I turn, I close the door behind me. I go for a walk. As I'm walking, the Lord is speaking to me. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm figuring it out. I was selfish. This is the past hurt. This is an unmet expectation. I'm processing all of that. And then I start noticing the sky is blue. The birds are singing. I come back in. I'm actually whistling as I open the door. And there is my wife on the sofa crying and sobbing. I'm like, What's wrong? <laughs> when I walked out the door, that felt like abandonment. That felt like rejection. And she couldn't process because I wasn't there. She couldn't talk it through. So she's going through all of these feelings. And, and then it's like, it's terrible. He just wants to leave me. Uh, you know, what have I done wrong? I'm such a bad wife and all of this. And I come back in whistling and she's like, what planet are you from? <laughs> So we learned. She learned to say, do you need some time to process? I'd be like, yes, thank you. I need to cave. And I learned to tell her, I am coming back. I do love you. I care about you. And we will talk this through. See how we figure that out? So whatever your styles, and sometimes in some situations, you can be a caver. In other situations, you're a converser. That can work too. Just learn to work with your partner's needs because their needs may be different from yours. All right, last one. How do you balance your relationships? So we've talked about first one. What's the first key? God first. Second key, communicate effectively. Third key, balance. And there's various ways that can work. I want to introduce you to some that are given in when you come to me for prepare, enrich counseling, for premarital counseling. Uh, You'll get materials that cover some of this. Uh, And so in in these materials, we've discovered through several studies that there is a balance in connectedness and a balance you need in flexibility. What do those mean? Connectedness is how connected you are to the other person. And you want to be connected and close, but not claustrophobic. All right? So you want to be connected, but not overly connected. Some of you come from um, highly connected families. So like you call each other three times a day. Hey, I'm just going to the store now. I'm rounding the corner. Oh, look, I just saw this. My, my mother-in-law likes to stay very connected. She tells me every meal, you know, what she has. And so, so she likes to be very connected. I come from a disconnected family. It's like, hey, see you in three months. <laughs> so now we were coming from t- two very different families, and we had to learn how to blend that. So some danger signs here if you are disconnected where you have to motivate yourself to participate in the relationship that's an issue if you're not loyal to the relationship you're not really connected and you talk negatively about it to other people that's a danger sign you need to say hey what's going on here i'm not being as connected another danger sign when you're overly connected you can't you can't stand to be apart or you fall apart that's too close Uh, When loyalty is demanded and you have problems with jealousy, when you're glued together. So what you want is a balance. You want to be connected, but you don't want to be so close that it's claustrophobic. The same with flexibility. Flexibility is how well things operate in the relationship. It's kind of the structure of a relationship. When it's overly flexible, you're always in crisis. never know what's going on. Uh, things change constantly, you never know who's in charge. Hey, I thought you were planning this weekend, and no, I thought you were, oh, well, whatever, we'll just go with, hey, look, my mom wants us to go here. We're just gonna go here. You just never know what's going on. That's too flexible. On the other hand, the inflexible, there's domineering. You have to do it this way, this is the only way. I don't like change, I want it done this way, it's all structured, black and white thinking this is right or this is wrong. And it can be so inflexible that the family kind of is living on edge or the couple is living on edge. So these are dangerous signs. You can work through them. You can bring more balance into your relationship, but you need to be aware that they can be dangerous. Another place for balance is what I call shoulder time versus face-to-face time. Now, this is uh, not always true, Uh, but I'll say as a general rule, guys tend to, like shoulder to shoulder time. You know what I mean by that? Activities. Like my wife says, hey, what do you wanna do for date night? Let's go miniature golfing, woo! And she's like, actually, I wanted to go to the restaurant and sit down and have a meal where we could talk, okay? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what, what, what are we gonna t- talk about this time? <laughs> yeah, so, so that's face to face. Now, what you want is a balance. You want a balance between activity and conversation. And that's really good for a relationship, that you're doing fun stuff, but you're also having heart-to-heart. If it's all heart-to-heart, that's when you get back into the paralysis of analysis. And I I remember we used to have, once a month, we had our Luniversary talk. And it was like, what could we improve on in our relationship? And after a while, I said, look, we've got to change this, because now I fear those conversations. Here is what you have done wrong in the last month. (laughs) And so I said, you know, we need, to, we need to have some fun dates and not only the heart-to-heart dates. On the other hand, if we never had those conversations, would that be a problem? Yeah. So uh, find that balance. Another area for balance, affection. Affection needs to be appropriate to your commitment. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. Why do we want to keep sex for marriage? Is that all right in this kind of setting? I am. And I'm just going to suggest some things to you. This is not a judgment. This is just what I've noticed. Uh, Sex is sacred. Um, It's sacred to a marriage. That's the way God designed it. I feel that's the best way. Secondly, early sexual encounters generally have left people feeling empty and unfulfilled. They they expected so much of it. It didn't really fulfill that. And then it's exciting, but at the end, it's not fulfilling, whereas marriage, sex, is meant and designed to be fulfilling. Maybe not as exciting um, when you're 20, 30, 40 years in, but it is designed to be fulfilling. As I've said before, sex is a ministry of pleasure. The devil likes to turn it into an enslavement to passion. So you've got to be with each other, but then afterwards you don't feel good, and it's not what you wanted, but you're stuck with it, and then it happens again, you're enslaved, and that's not what uh, God designed it to be. And in the end, it can cheapen the other person to be an object of desire. And they start to feel it, like you're just using me to fulfill your desires, and that's not good for a relationship. And finally, um, your body is God's temple. That's how the Bible describes it. It's holy. So, so you're going to have to set some boundaries. Because when you have sex outside of marriage, sex, by its very nature, it, by the hormones it releases, it bonds two people together. That's why Nicole and I have discovered when two people are in a sexual relationship and they break up, it is so much harder for them than a breakup without sex. And here's why. You take two pieces of wood and you permanent glue them to each other. Then you pull those two pieces of wood apart. What happens? They carry parts of the other piece of wood with them, right? Because that glue pulled some of that. Now, if you just go and stick that on top of another piece of wood, what's, what's your problem? You've got other parts of that piece of wood in the way. So what you really need to do after sexual relationship is you need to kind of plane it down, have God cleanse you. And I, I'm gonna use a term revirginate. <laughs> is there such a word anyway? Revirginate because it says in Peter that that we can be cleansed and in Thessalonians we can be cleansed. So so God can cleanse, He can He can revirginate, and He can prepare you so that you can marry. But I believe God uh, you know and, and not have that to be a problem in your future relationship but you better go through a process because you have bonded yourself to another person. So how are you going to handle your passion? So I do have some hints here. Uh, Number one, if you're struggling with passion, get advice. You know, Go find somebody you can trust and, and say, hey, how do we deal with our passion? We love each other, but the passion is getting out of control, what do we do? You may have to get space, like it's just too tight. And every time you're together, it goes too far. Well, you may just need to get space. If, it's, if, if that's not working, you may need to get out. Is this been too honest? When, a, when a, a, a relationship has got sexual like this and is leading you away from God, it's a problem. You may have to just get out of that. That, that may be your only choice. Um, and Instead of being so connected with the other person, get reconnected with God, get reconnected with your church, get reconnected with family and friends. Expand your circles so that you're not dependent on that sexual relationship. And then lastly, make a covenant. Again, I'm happy to send you the covenant that Nicole and I made. And uh, we, we said some things like we're not going to have prolonged hugging. Um, and we decided, based on our past relationships, we weren't even going to kiss. And I know that's a big step. It sort of helped that we were 6,000 miles apart for most of our relationship, <laughs> you know. Uh, but when she came to visit me, it was really tough not to kiss her. Why did we decide on that? Because for us, kissing had been the entry to, to going further. And so we said, we want to back it right off. We want to We want to put those boundary lines far back so that we don't end up in that situation. As the Bible says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a what kind of a heart? Pure heart. So here are some of the boundaries that that we have found to be helpful over the years with different couples. Don't stay up late alone. What we know is that your frontal lobe starts shutting down at night. I'm going to look at the girls here. Just sorry. This is stereotypical. Um, Have you ever been with girlfriends late at night and you start laughing at stupid jokes? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cause the frontal lobe is shutting down. <laughs> yeah. So what, what happens when you're alone together late at night, your frontal lobe is shutting down, which means you have less willpower. Have you ever noticed it's harder to resist pizza at midnight? Yeah. Maybe not for you, but, but, or ice cream or whatever it is, it's because you have less willpower. So don't stay up late alone. Number two, avoid entertainment with sexual themes. Uh, One of the couples that got married, got married because I know this is dating me, but they watched Titanic. And they watched Titanic, and that night a little baby was conceived. So, uh, yeah, I know you like from Titanic. (laughs) But you watch a movie, particularly these days, there's lots of movies with sexual themes, it's gonna make your mind think that way. It's gonna make your, your, your body desire it because we have what we call mirror neurons. So when you watch something, it fires those same neurons inside of you and you desire those same things. Number three, agree on boundaries, keep them far from the edge. As I say, we agreed, we were not gonna kiss and that was easier for us because we were only like together um, six weeks after we got engaged. That was easier. Uh, for some of you, it, it may be different. I'm not saying you have to be the same but we kept it so far back from the edge because we knew what it would do once we crossed that boundary. Now, when we did get married and I kissed her for the first time, remember, we had kissed other people before. It's not like we had no idea what we were doing. Um, so we kissed for the first time. Then our, our groomsmen held up 9.6, 9.5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, don't use intimacy to avoid conflict because you, when you have conflict, you're feeling the tension. We've, we've had this conflict, and you naturally decide to get close. Sometimes the easiest way to get close is to make out. But in making out, you haven't solved the conflict. You've just made yourselves feel better. And lastly, have accountability. Who is accountable for your relationship that you can speak to, that can ask you, how is it going? So I want to conclude with this. You are writing your love story. So everything you do, the challenges you have, you're writing it for the future. One day, you're going to be standing up here where I am, to someone anyway, and sharing your story. What kind of story do you want to share? I'm glad that because of what Nicole did and how she inspired, inspired me, that I ended up having a good love story. And because of that, we can take what we've gone through and share it with you. Um, It's so hard to wait. It seems like an eternity. This is Nicole. Please teach me me patience and do it quick. (laughs) (laughs) I know there will be times when we are annoyed and angry with each other. I'm guessing agreeing to get married means in part agreeing to love through these times when the feelings vanished and we are left to trudge on with new determination. I'm sure that will be good for us. But I'm glad you created romance and this longing in our hearts to be together. It is torture, but it is a sweet torture. I hope to feel Alan's arms around me. This was just before I was going to see her tomorrow. And it will all be worthwhile. So... Welcome to the sweet torture of love. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk about some of the things going on in our lives. We are so thrilled that you have worked um, in each of us to bring us to a point where we can surrender to you. And Lord, I'm praying that you lead our relationships, whether they are existing relationships or whether they're relationships, that we don't yet have, that you will help us to become the person you need to be, because what we become while we wait is more important than the thing we are waiting for. So guide us, help us to trust you through this process, and to embrace the sweet torture of relationships. For we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse